college football fans. I'm Nick Carparelli, the executive director of Bowl Season, and welcome to year two of the Bowl Season Stories podcast and our very first episode of the season. Last year, we recorded 21 episodes and hosted 57 guests, including college football player and coaching legends, members of the media, as well as bowl game executive directors, all sharing their favorite bowl season memories. Over the course of this college football season, starting today and running through the end of the college football playoff, we will record 20 episodes in all and have another exciting lineup of guests planned for you. Today, we are joined by Sports Illustrated's national college football writer, Ross Dellinger, former LSU Tiger, Jacob Hester, and Military Bowl Executive Director, Steve Beck. Today's podcast is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. So let's re- jump right into it. Our first guest of the season is Sports Illustrated's college football writer, Ross Dellinger. Ross has covered a wide range of college football programs in his career, including LSU, Missouri, Jackson State, Auburn. But he landed in his current role with Sports Illustrated in 2018, where he now covers college football on a national level. Ross, um, Welcome to the show. How does it feel to be our very first guest of the first episode of Bowl Season Stories? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm setting the scene here, aren't I? Uh, no, it's it's good to uh, it's good to be the guy that uh, that kicks it off. But uh, it's probably only only uphill from here, Nick. Uh, and, uh, I'll, I'll I'll try to lower uh, expectations. And uh, I don't know about that. You've uh, you've been a good a good friend to us over the years. You know, the, you've uh, you've helped us out at our annual meetings each of the last two years. You moderated a panel discussion on name, image, and likeness, which uh, you did a great job with that. I I consider you to be kind of one of the experts on that topic in the in the media. So appreciate you doing that for us. Before we talk about bowl games, let's let's touch a little bit on the changing landscape of college athletics. I'm not sure where to even begin with that, but. Let's talk about conference realignment. That seems to be the most current. Uh, what do you think of some of the most recent moves? Are we likely to see more movement in the short term? And is all this good for college athletes? Well, um, it depends on your definition of, of short term. Uh, I think we are going to see more movement. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's it's hard to see college sports uh remaining as the the power five conferences remaining as is where you have two 16 team leagues in the big 10 and sec that have you know so much money or so much richer and more powerful than all the other the other three specifically so it's it's hard to see that maintaining um either you would think that the top teams in the other three are going to be elevated and, and join the SEC and Big Ten, which a lot of people have predicted, right? Those two leagues expanding more. Um, so I think that's possible. You know, I think uh, there's a possibility in, um, uh, and you hate to say like this is just kind of off the wall, but like a, a third Power Five league forming where you where you have, you know, the top teams in any of the other three Power Five leagues. But some something has to happen. It feels like it's somewhat untenable uh, just as far as the money in the situation. So I think we will see expansion. I, I don't know how soon. Um, I think in the big Ten's case, maybe it could come sooner rather than later. Uh, it's just hard. It's hard right now. Everything seems to be really fluid. And until everybody kind of locks up their media rights deals, PAC 12's next and then big 12, 
you're probably going to see more movement. I, you know, is it good for student athletes? Um, you know, if I, if I'm a UCLA or USC athlete, I, I'm picked. I, I don't, I don't want to travel uh, across the country. Um, and I did not hear there's, there's a lot of, you know, angry people in those communities about the, about the move. Um, and I don't necessarily blame them. It's a lot more travel. It's, you know, we're losing Nick, we're losing uh, what kind of made college football great in college sports. Great, which is a, a cultural in, in geo geographic similarity in, in uh, geographic kind of matchups and rivalries um, we're losing that because, um, people are, are picking the money. Right. And, and that's, that's just how it is. That's how the world is. Right. College sports seems to be indicative of society, uh, in that, in that way where money is driving so many moves. So I know that was a lot, but, uh, no, I, yeah. and I, I can't disagree with you. Money certainly does drive a lot, not just in sports, but in the rest of the world. But, you know, you, you do wonder sometimes at what cost, you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned the, you know, the geographic uh, identity there, there, there used to be a pride to your geography. You know, the West coast teams, when they played East coast teams or they played Midwest teams, all the other West coast teams would root for their West coast brother, if you will. Right. It was a, it was a pride thing for that region of the country. There was stereotypes in, 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 in all, each of the different sports, which area of the country was better than another. And, you know, it was kind of a rivalry within a rivalry where different parts of the country would root for one another. Um, but now geography doesn't seem to play any role in, in, in conference alignment anymore. No, it does not. And uh, I think, you know, obviously the uh, biggest example of that is, is what happened. But we have a lot of examples of that. You know, West Virginia is uh, a long, long way from its, its closest conference rivalry. And kudos to West Virginia just randomly, you know, they, they have, um, they have, they have, uh, developed a non-conference schedule that includes a lot of neighbors like Virginia tech and Pitt and, and Penn state. And cause those are the ones that bring the fans. Those are the runs that, that bring the, uh, kind of that, uh, college sports type of mentality that, you know, we are, we are losing a little bit. Yep. I agree with that. Well, um, let's jump into bowl games. This is this is bowl season stories after all. So we we talk a lot about how for some programs bowl games are a reward for a successful season. That's probably the case for 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 every team. But for some teams, it also can serve as a launching point for the following season. You know, you you you, you play in a bowl game, uh, you you win the bowl game, everything's a little bit better in the off season. You have a little extra hop in your step. Uh, the training table food tastes better. You're a little, a little you know the spring practice. You have a little bit more energy. Uh, going into the next season. And then oftentimes that translates into a, a better season for those, those teams that had that opportunity for those extra practices and to play that extra game. So with that, in your opinion, you know, what this year, what teams that had a good finish to their season last year, including their bowl game, do you think are positioned for a strong 2022 season? Yeah. You know, it's, it is a, you hear about it from coaches quite a bit. It is a launching pad uh, into next year. And a, and a lot of coaches, you know, use, those, whatever it is, I think it's 12, 15 extra bowl practices to, um, to kind of build, uh, for next year's team. And, uh, and then you get to the game and yeah, it's, it's, it can kind of be a, a launching pad into recruiting off season workouts in, in the next season. Um, you know, I, I look at, uh, 
down there in uh, in Orlando, you know, U, uh, UCF, um, you know, year two under Gus should be interesting. They've got uh, John Rice Plumley, a quarterback from from Ole Miss, who's really athletic kid who just seems to fit right into Gus's system. And uh, and coming off of what they did last year and what they did in the bowl last year, you can kind of see them, you know, uh, taking off here and it, it being. Uh, and of course, they're going to move into the Power Five, you know, in a year or so. Um, and so it, it's uh, they're set up. It feels like to to excel. Um, you know, some other teams. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State right returns a lot, and uh, and they they storm back to beat Notre Dame in that really electric uh, Fiesta Bowl. I think it was Fiesta Bowl, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, really incredible game that was, and you could see that. Again, just just uh, you know, uh, they're 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 they feel like they're kind of set up uh, for more success. Uh, I mean, Mike Gundy has uh, been there for a while now, and and you know, I, I think he's. It feels like over the last three to five years, he's had some of his best teams, and this feels like one of them. Yeah, I, I uh, totally agree with those two. You know, and typically you think of teams that won their bowl game. You know, I I even think of Utah. You know, their, their first ever trip to the Rose Bowl, they obviously lost that game. I, I don't think they would ever say there's any such thing as a, as a moral victory, but their fans were so energetic. They showed out for that game. Uh, it was one, it might have been the most exciting game of bowl season, and they have a lot returning as well. I think Coach Whittingham is just a great coach. I'm, I'm interested to see in how they, they follow up to that great season and that Rose Bowl appearance. Absolutely. They, they, um, they've got what some might argue is um, – the biggest season opener in, in their, their school's history, right. They go on the road to Florida to open the season uh, next week. And, um, and they got to fly cross country and deal with the heat and humidity in Gainesville and deal with a team with a new coach. That's um, kind of as uh, uh, you know, he's trying to resurrect this program and, and revive things down there. So big first game for, for Utah. They, they, tend to start slow Utah Kyle Whittingham's teams and, and then finish in a flurry. Uh, they need to, they need to start uh, a little faster if they're going to make the CFP. And, and this is one of them they need to win. Yeah. That'll be a, that'll be a fun one to watch. How many bowl games do you get a chance to cover these days? I know the last couple of years have been challenging for all of us to travel with the pandemic, but in a normal year, how many do you get to, how many do you try to get to uh, each season? Well, I wish I could I could go to to more. Um, they uh, they often don't uh, don't let us expense uh, and travel to to bowl games that aren't uh, aren't playoff games nowadays. And as you know, um, you know it's like uh, all all the focus you know is on that is on those four teams when it gets down the stretch in December. And so I I usually just go to a semifinal, um, and then I'll obviously go to the championship game, but um, so, you know, I've, I've been to a few semifinals at the Cotton Bowl and, and uh, the Orange Bowl and the Peach Bowl. And so usually I just hit a, a semi and, and then hit the championship game. But certainly try to watch as many bowl games um, as I can. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, always a, a great thing to do around the holidays. You know, it's uh, it's a tradition, you know, and it's it's a big part of college sports and college football. Well, to that point, what's your, what's your earliest memory of bowl games? Was there, was it something you did in your house over the holidays? Was it something you and your family looked forward to? And 
you know, when you were at a young age and you were first starting to become a college football fan, was there some kind of feeling, emotion, passion, passion you can remember when it was bowl season and you used to turn on those games uh, during the holidays? Yeah, my one of my first big um, memories of bowls is the snowball with Texas A&M in Mississippi State. Um, back when the Aggies were in the Big 12, I think it was 2000. Um, and uh, I was in high school. And it was, uh, you know, it was all, it was snowing and, and, and I'm from Biloxi, Mississippi on the Gulf coast. And so, uh, I was rooting for the Bulldogs and they ended up winning the game and in, in a wild one, uh, in the snow. So that one stands out. And then, uh, just a year later, uh, I, uh, I went to the sugar bowl with LSU led by coach Nick Saban, um, uh, beat Illinois, uh, over there in New Orleans. That's one of my my kind of fondest memories of, of attending a game, um, you know, again, just being from the Gulf coast and everything growing up a couple hours from LSU. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time around that program and obviously later on covered it, but, uh, that was, that was an awesome game. Uh, just packed Superdome, you know, and a, and a, and a really team, a, a team that Nick Saban had, had built pretty quickly and you could see was going to go on to do great things. And of course, two years later, uh, they won it all and won the national championship. So those two, those two stick out, um, of games. And, and I would say even the next year, I think it was 2002, I went to the old, the old cotton bowl, old cotton bowl stadium, um, in LSU played Texas there. Texas ended up winning that game. Uh, but our, that was the only time I've ever been to the old cotton bowl outside of covering Texas and Oklahoma a couple years ago, but that was the the only time I'd been there. I'll never forget. It was like a, it's like a 10 a.m. kick. Oh my gosh. I remember the, the bus ride, you know, in, in, from, from the Dallas hotel to, uh, to that old, old cotton bowl stadium where you could barely fit in the seats, the tiny little seats. But yeah, those are some of my, uh, my fondest memories as a kid. A lot of history in that game and that old stadium for sure. Other than the obvious Ross, uh, which, which is covering college football. What is the best thing about your job? Maybe that is the best thing. Maybe I took, took away the. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy seeing new places, going new places, uh, and um, traveling on uh, not on my dime. It's nice. It's nice to be able to travel when you're um, you're getting those things expensed. And so I would probably say, um, you know, seeing seeing new places and stuff, and in traveling America, you know, is, is pretty cool. That's a, that's a pretty cool part of my job. And, and, uh, you know, when you see new pla places, you see new people and, uh, you meet a lot of people. Um, and so I would say those things are, um, yeah, are, are, are big perks of my job. Excellent. Well, Ross, we've taken enough of your time. Really appreciate you joining us on bowl season stories. Uh, I know I'm going to see you uh, on the road at some point uh, over the course of the next few months, definitely during bowl season. Uh, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Nick. We're going to take a short break and be right back with former LSU Tiger running back Jacob Hester. Stay with us. The forecast for this tax season, it's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Welcome back to the show. We are now joined by 
former LSU running back, Jacob Hester. Jacob played in four bowl games during his college career between 2004 and 2008 and went on to play in the NFL for the Denver Broncos and the San Diego Chargers. He now hosts off campus on ESPNU radio. Jacob, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be on here. It tells you how old I am, the fact that you said San Diego Chargers and not the L.A. Chargers. But, hey, we all get older. You know, we can't help it. But I am glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into your your, um, career at LSU and bowl games specifically, uh, you started out at at LSU as a fullback that I don't know why that caught my attention. It seems like the fullback is a dying breed. I, we had Daryl Johnston on our show last year. Great fullback from the Cowboys. Uh, Mike Allstott is an acquaintance of mine. Uh, just two great fullbacks there. Like what, what happened to the fullback in, in football? I don't know. It's gone away. I mean, now it's like you can name the teams that actually have a fullback on one hand, and it's kind of sad. I mean, thankfully for Iowa and Wisconsin, the service academies, they still – run a fullback out there but it used to be such a big part I know certainly of what we did when I was at LSU and then in the NFL with North Turner we ran a ton of 21 personnel with a fullback and you know it's it's a copycat game and so what you're doing in high school is going to find its way to college going to find its way to the NFL and so that 11 personnel right with one tight end, one back, and three receivers has become in vogue. And the fullback, unfortunately, has kind of gone to the wayside, and it hurts my heart. I am a fullback-loving, neck-roll-wearing, grit, passion, all those things about a fullback that I feel like we're just losing. So I do hate it. You mentioned a couple of great ones there. I mean, Mike Allstott was a guy that I wanted to be like, right? He was a fullback, but he could also run the football a little bit. It will come back. Everything in football finds its way. Like, it's going to come back. Like, we see teams run the option now. It just looks different. Like, Coastal Carolina is a team. They're going to run the option. They're just going to kind of do it at a shotgun in a little bit of a different way. So, hopefully, there's some hope there that the fullback does make its way back to a football field soon. Well, I think there's a lot of people out there that hope it does. I uh, seems like the fullback is often the uh, toughest guy in the field. So uh, we need, we need to bring him back. We need to bring him back. But, but you had quite a career at LSU, four seasons, four bowl games. You went three and one in those games, including a national championship to close it out in 2008. Um, you also played for two uh, great coaches. What was it like to be an LSU tiger back then? And what was it like to uh, play for Nick Saban and then Les Miles and go through that transition of different styles? Yeah, so I had the great fortune of having, like you mentioned, two great head coaches, and I was recruited by Coach Saban, played my freshman year under Coach Saban, and he taught me so much, and I appreciate my time with Coach Saban. He gave me an opportunity to go to LSU. I was a two-star recruit. I was 795th in the country. I was a 17th rated fullback. We're kind of joking here. There's not 17 fullbacks in the country anymore, and I was 17th back in 2004 when I was making my decision which college I was going to go to but coach Saban came to one of my high school practices had no idea who I was by the end of the practice he gave me an offer and so he took a chance on a two-star recruit going to a place like LSU so I'm always grateful for that and I'm grateful for my time and certainly with coach Miles and the things that he allowed me to do there you know playing running back making that transition from fullback to the starting tailback at LSU two different coaches but two very successful coaches they definitely did things a different way but they each got everything they wanted to get done done at the end of the day so 
I enjoy my time with both. I mean, I've got my youngest son is Memphis Miles Hester after Coach Miles. He means the world to me and my family. And I still talk with Coach Saban at least a couple of times a year. So even though I only played a year for Coach Saban, the fact that he still he asked me, how's the boys doing? How's your wife doing? How are things going? It does mean a lot. So I'm very fortunate the fact that I got not only two coaches in college, but two in the NFL that I really respect. Uh, that's uh, that's interesting story. Two-star recruit. I'm, I'm guessing Coach Saban doesn't need to sign that many two-star recruits anymore at Alabama. <laughs> I don't even know if if a two-star recruit even gets stars anymore. I don't know. I think like three might be like the bare minimum now. It's like, hey, you're either three, four, five, or you're probably a walk-on at this point. Yeah. Well, your your first bowl game was in in Florida at the 2005 Capital One Bowl against Iowa. Then uh, you had a 40 to three win over Miami in the peach bowl, 70 yards rushing on 13 carries in that game, two great games, great destinations for bowl games. How great were those trips for a kid from Shreveport, Louisiana? So the Orlando trip, my freshman year was one of the best trips I've ever been on. It was, I mean, everything you wanted it to be getting to go to the amusement parks, getting a chance to really just explore the city. It was all going so great until the last play of the game. I went those a Hail Mary. They beat us with a last second touchdown. It was a really well-played game, though. There's a lot of NFL players on that field. The week was great. The game until the fourth quarter was great, but the Hail Mary kind of leaves a sour taste, but it doesn't take away from that bowl trip. The first time I'd ever been to Disney, right? I never had a chance as a kid growing up in Shreveport, like you mentioned, to go to a place like Disney. So that trip was definitely one that kind of stands out to me. But the next year is really where my career changed. We're going to the Peach Bowl. As you mentioned, we're playing a top 10 Miami team. So that's before the Peach Bowl was a part of obviously the semifinals or the final. It wasn't one of those, you know, New Year's six games. It wasn't that type of game just yet. But we were a top 10 matchup against Miami. And so we knew that it was going to be a game that was billed as, hey, outside of these games, this is the bowl game to watch. And I say it changed my life and my career because in that game is when I made the transition actually from fullback to tailback. We had, you know, Joseph Adai, first-round pick. He hurts his hamstring. We had another running back. He tears his ACL in a kickoff. We had one fumbled the football. We had another that missed a pass protection. And Les is, like, looking on the sideline. And I had done some mop-up duty running back stuff, but nothing to this extent. He literally, like, looks at me, grabs me, says, Hester, get in there, tailback. I'm like, I'm not giving this back. I've gotten this opportunity to go show I can play tailback. And like you mentioned, had some success in that game, score a touchdown, have a couple of big runs. And from that game, it parlayed into the next spring. I went into that spring as the number one running back. It was my job to lose. And so that bowl game really changed my life. I don't know how long I play in the NFL. I don't know if I get drafted in the third round. I'm probably one of those fullbacks that, has to like scratch and claw and fight his way to an NFL roster. So me having the ability to show I could play tailback, it happened in that game. And if it doesn't happen, I really don't know where I'm at. So then your last two bowl games were both played in new Orleans. So instead of going somewhere new and unique, you're it's basically a home game for you. You, yeah. you, you grew up in Louisiana. Uh, first one was a sugar bowl win over Notre Dame. Then the following year, a national championship over Ohio State. What was it like to play in your home state uh, on that stage and then to ultimately win a championship? 
Well, New Orleans should host every major sporting event. It should be the host for everything. No matter what the sport is, no matter what the bowl game situation is, New Orleans knows how to host an event. It's a city that's got so much culture and so many things to do. It's a walking city. It's not spread out. And all the events that lead into the game are just done right. I'm biased. I'm from Louisiana. But there's no place I'd rather spend a bowl game week than New Orleans. We had so much fun as we're getting ready. Look, when you're playing Notre Dame, like that mean that means something, right? I mean, it's Notre Dame. It's a national brand. And so we took that game like it was our national championship and just getting a chance. Like I grew up Irish Catholic. So even though I grew up in Louisiana, I'm getting a chance to play against Notre Dame. And I actually had knee surgery eight days before that game. But I was like, there's no way I'm missing this game. And so I actually rehabbed a knee surgery. It was a um, it was a scope, so it wasn't a major surgery. But they're like, hey, you're probably not going to be able to play in this game if you get this surgery. I was like, I'm not missing that. I am not missing a Sugar Bowl opportunity inside the Superdome being a kid from Louisiana going against Notre Dame. And it was a, a game that went our way. Um, I don't remember the final score, but it was a lot to a little. I know Jamarcus Russell had a major day in uh, – of course, he ended up being the number one overall draft pick. You know, off that game was a big reason why he was going against Brady Quinn, who was the Notre Dame quarterback. And so that game in itself, that was a memory that was going to be a core memory for me. But then it got even better the next year, right? You play another national brand in Ohio State. We have two losses, if you'll remember. We were a two-loss team that got to the national championship. Like 73 things had to happen after we lost to Arkansas, and all of them happened for us to get into – that bowl game, we could have played the 72 Dolphins that day, and we're not losing. I mean, you gave us an extra chance, an extra opportunity to come into this game, and so we were laser-focused again. We knew Ohio State. We knew how talented they were, but it's like we're in our state. We're in the Superdome. Like, in the Superdome in Louisiana, it means something. Like, you go to the high school state championship games in the Superdome, so everyone from Louisiana holds that place in kind of a different regard than it does – others and so all those things kind of coming together and to be able to cap off our college career with a national championship in our backyard it's less than an hour away from our campus and there's something about LSU in the Superdome 2003 2007 2019 you win three national championships you played for another in 11 in that same building so to end our careers as seniors in that place in that game against an Ohio State it's certainly a bowl game I'll never forget. And I was very fortunate to have four really good experiences, great cities, great venues, great hosts to all the games that I went to. When you talk about ending your career, like you were, you were fortunate enough and uh, a, a great player and you were able to go on to the NFL and continue your career. But a lot of, th- a lot of times we talk about with bowl games uh, for most guys, it's their last opportunity to play football, period. Yeah. Uh, and they get to do it at some unique destination with all their friends, probably a place they've never been to before. You know, for some guys, maybe a place they'll never go to again. So talk about the experience you know, off the field, just going to these, these games with these dudes that you've been hanging out with for four or five years. Any great stories about some of the things that, that, you, that happened and that you enjoyed with your friends at those games? All right, so um... – Statute of limitations might be over on this one. My (laughs) freshman year in Orlando, I'm telling on ourselves here a little bit, but we were so excited, like I said, to go to Disney. I mean, we're a football team. We don't get a chance to really do anything like this close to Louisiana. We don't have a major amusement park or anything, and none of us had really ever been there. 
And so we got like, you know, credentials for the bowl game, the Capital One bowl game at the time to kind of, you know, wherever you're going, you get let in for security or whatever. But we were like, hey, let's wear these to Disney and see what happens. Let's see if maybe we can skip a line or two. And so we used these passes that we had that had nothing to do with Disney. We had kind of um, fooled the Disney employees to thinking they were a special fast pass. And so we're skipping every single line, getting to the front of the line, getting to ride all the rides. And looking back now, having children, I would be completely angry at that young man that's breaking all the lines when I'm sitting here waiting for an hour. But we rode the entire Disney park in just one day because we used these uh, fake fast passes. And we were just, you know, you know, we didn't expect it to work, but it worked. And so that's a uh, core memory as well of a bowl game that we had a really good time. So you either just gave all the future Citrus Bowl participants a great idea or you just ruined it. I just ruined it. I just ruined it. Because the park's going to pick up on it. I got a feeling they probably picked that. This is a true story. I don't remember what team it was, but there was a team that went to the same bowl game and I was playing uh, in the NFL and we're kind of telling this story. And I think that they actually said that it didn't work and they used LSU as an example as to why it didn't work. So we ruined it, but at least we ruined it like way back in the day because we totally messed it up for everybody else. But, you know, for the seven, eight of us that night for LSU, it was really great. I could, could only imagine. <laughs> so uh, you've been great. I got, I have one more question for you. I, I this one's kind of off the cuff. Just I, I feel like I've gotten to know you a little bit in the last fifteen minutes, knowing that you, you know, you weren't the hot, most highly recruited guy. So I kind of I have a sense of how you might answer this question. Um, it's kind of a new phenomenon that uh, a large number of guys are opting out of bowl games. Mm. Guys who for one reason or another, say, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to play one more football game in college with my friends. Now my right. gut tells me that most of those guys, when they get a little bit older are going to say, you know, damn it. I, 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 I do anything to play in one more football game. What's, what's your position on that? Well, I can just tell you. So my dad, uh, a Marine and a city policeman for like 30 years, and he's my biggest mentor and you don't run away from something that your teammates are doing. Now, I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for myself. And, and my dad, the quote that sticks with me, I remember when I'm going to LSU, I'm like, Dad, I don't know. Am I going to play? Am I going to be good enough to play there? He told me, and he straight up, he was being real with me. He said, if you're scared of competition, change your last name because that's just not how we're going to do things here. And so that's just the way I was raised. Like, if your teammates are out there, if they're being competitive, if they're going against another team, you're going to be out there as well. So that was instilled in me in a very young age, but even removed from it. I was fortunate enough to play longer in the NFL than I did in college football. If you said you get three more plays, you get three more chances to put on the gear, get out of a tunnel, run down on kickoff, have a pass protection, whatever it is, it's going to be in a college uniform. There's nothing better than college football, the pageantry of college football, the fan bases of college football, the bands, the student section, everything that surrounds college football is the greatest thing in football. I love professional football. It's got a place in my heart. You can probably see the Charger jerseys above my head. It was a great experience. But the difference, in my opinion, in college football and in the NFL, the college fans, they're going to love you for 40 years. 
It's not just a truly a four-year thing. It's a 40-year thing. In the NFL, they'll love you while you're there, but once you move on, they love the next guy. In college, no, that legend lives forever. And so for me, if I got a chance to play another college football game, like I was able to retire on my own accord. Like I was able, I had a contract and I stepped away from professional football. I don't know if I could walk away from an opportunity to have three more plays in college football. If somebody said, Hey, you can come back. I'm doing it because there's just nothing better. There's no, no better feeling than just everything that surrounds college football running out of that tunnel hearing the student section, like I mentioned, hearing the band hit those four familiar notes if you're an LSU fan, all those things. So, yeah, you give me a bowl game opportunity situation. Me personally, again, I know my situation might be different than others. I'm playing in that game every single time. I mean, like I told you, I had knee surgery eight days before the Sugar Bowl. I wasn't missing that opportunity. Well, I think there's a lot of people that listen to our show that are, would be uh, really happy to hear you say that and, and agree with a, a lot of what you said. So, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Last question. Any predictions for this year? Well, I know for my LSU Tigers, I have no idea. And I cover college football every single day on off campus. But there's just so much unknown for the LSU Tigers. 16 guys coming through the transfer portal. Now you've got Brian Kelly. His track record, I think, speaks for itself. But I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see how that plays out. Uh, I think there's going to be some chaos this year in college football. I look across the landscape. I look at an NC State. I look at a Utah. I look at maybe an Oklahoma State or a Baylor, just some unknown teams as far as teams in the CFP, but it just feels like it's going to be chaotic at the top, which I'm all for like a two-law national champion. I can't help but love chaos. So I'm hoping we get a little chaotic finish there towards the front. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people. It'd be, it'd be fun to have a season where the ending wasn't so predictable, I think. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, because there's been years where like, okay, I can give you three of the four playoff teams. This year might feel a little different. Now, there's a couple of teams that certainly could be there in the end, but a couple of those, you know, maybe the third, the fourth spot in the CFP, I think could be a little wild. And I think even New Year's Six Bowl games, which are still a big deal for me, I think you could see some teams get in that situation like you did a year ago that haven't been there really. Yeah, I think so. Well, Jacob, thanks so much for your time. This is, this has been great. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, good luck to you. And uh, hopefully we run into each other down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And now our final segment of the show is brought to you by tap it. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans and boosts your bottom line. We'd like to welcome to the podcast, Military Bowl Executive Director, Steve Beck. Steve is a member of my bowl season executive committee. He's currently the vice chair. And a year from now, he'll be the chair of our organization. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. You're the first executive director guest on season two of Bowl Season Story. So we appreciate you being here. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Guess you couldn't get anybody else, huh? <laughs> you were at the top of the list, Steve. We, we go in order of priority down. So it's only yeah. going downhill for beer. <laughs> Uh, you've been with the Military Bowl since its inaugural game in 2008. What have been the biggest changes you've seen in your 14-year tenure? Oh, boy. Uh, well, it was I'll tell you, it was tough getting that first game started. I didn't come in until just about October 1 uh, with a game uh, December 20th. We had the first bowl game at 11 o'clock uh, on ESPN, and uh, it was Navy versus Wake Forest. We were lucky to get the ball kicked off at the right time. I mean, the night before the game, we're there at 10 o'clock. 
at the stadium just going through our checklist and we're going down the list and you said chains and markers. And he goes, what do you mean chains and markers? You don't have chains and markers? I'm like, you're a football facility. They didn't have chains and markers. I had to break into my high school, my kid's high school and get chains and markers. So that was a, that was a bit of an issue. But, you know, moving forward, uh, uh, 12 years ago, we brought in Northrop Grumman as the title sponsor. I really brought it to another level. And at that time, we also established a relationship with USO. And um, then we moved to Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium, which was huge for us. Uh, and then, uh, you know, buying Patriot Point, a 294-acre retreat center in, uh, outside of Cambridge, Maryland. It's a retreat center for our nation's uh, wounded, uh, ill, and injured, and their caregivers and family members. Um, so we've added that. And we've also, we also do the Touchdown Club. Uh, we have a player of the week, uh, high school player of the week, college player of the week. And then accumulates in an annual dinner that we have. So, we, you know, we went from, like I said, barely getting the ball kicked off to uh, now an organization with a, a lot of activities, a lot of different events. And um, of course, our premier event is still the military bowl. And we talk a lot about how every bowl game is unique. There's 43 of them across the country. Uh, they all do a great job of showcasing what's what's unique, what's great about the community that's hosting the game. So tell us what's unique about hosting a bowl game in the nation's capital. But we're very fortunate, obviously, to have our location. I mean, uh, the nation's capital and then the capital of Maryland. Uh, so the teams stay in D.C. four or five days before the game, see all the models and monuments, go to the U.S. Capitol for a tour. Uh, we have a pack for troops uh, with USO and give the players hats, you know, and then they end up wearing them on the sideline and all over the city. And uh, it's really just a special place. Very, very fortunate to have the backdrop as our nation's capital. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't kind of elaborate on that a little bit, Steve. I mean, people, fans turn on bowl games and uh, a lot of fans watch the games, uh, but all they see is a three hour football game on TV. What they don't get to see is the experience that these student athletes have in the four or five days in there that they're in town and the, the experiences they have, the memories they have uh, experiencing a, 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 such a unique place that they may never have been to before may never be able to get to again uh, in their lives is, is, is one of the great things about bowl games. And, you know, the, the participants of the military bowl also, you know, seem to have a different level of pride while playing in your game because, because your game is the military bowl represents the military. Do you see a higher level of appreciation from the student athletes because of that? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, they take a lot of pride, you know, wearing their hats around the city and on the sidelines and, the coaches have all been very, very supportive of it. Um, you know, it, it, like you said, most of these, a lot of these kids have never even been to Washington, D.C. I mean, we had UCLA one year. I mean, they came across the country. San Jose State, we had one year. You know, these people, uh, when their, their faces are just locked on the bus, and, you know, from the trip from the airport over, just looking at all the monuments. And it's really a beautiful city. And uh, it's great for them to be able to take advantage of that time. The last two years have been very difficult for all of us with the pandemic and the lingering effects. Hope, hopefully, you know, we're, we're, we're past that, but for you in particular, you know, uh, it, how difficult was it taking a two year hiatus? Uh, and, and what, what are you most excited about for this game? Uh, this year's yeah. game coming up besides having, the, besides having the game. <laughs> yeah. Two teams ready to play. Yeah. You know, we had, uh, one team back out with 26 hours to go before the game. They were there, you know, five days and DC just spiked. Uh, it was incredible. It just went straight up the number of uh, COVID cases. And uh, 
you know, I think that's obviously been very hurtful. I mean, the first year, uh, a lot of bowl games were canceled and Perspective, who was our title sponsor at that time, donated the money to us. So that was, uh, that enabled us to keep going basically. And then uh, this past year, you know, going through all the expenses and everything that we have for the whole year and then it happening again. So we're really excited to get back on the field, uh, get, get a couple teams in here and you know, let's play a game. Now let's talk about your career a little bit. Uh, before you worked for the military bowl in the world of college football, you were very much a basketball guy with the McDonald's all American game, five-star basketball, the capital classic. What did you like the most about the basketball world? And, and I guess more so focusing on high schoolers versus college athletes. Yeah. Um, it was a great opportunity. My partner, uh, Bob Gagan was the founder of a lot of different events. He's, recently just passed and was just enshrined in the circle of legends in that stadium. Um, you know, dealing with the McDonald's game, I didn't, I, I dealt some with the players, but the thing that was most relevant to me was basically I got to hang out with John Wooden and Morgan Wooden for a week every year. And that was just extremely valuable uh, to me as, you know, these, these guys are, their integrity is just off the charts. I mean, when you, when John Wooden would speak to the high school kids at the luncheon, you could just hear a pin drop. I mean, he was just a, a whole different level. And Morgan, the same thing. He was just a fantastic person and, uh, you know, lived what they talked. And uh, it was it was great to be around them. And Five Star, look, Five Star was a teaching camp. It's, it's a little bit different now. Um, but, you know, the, the people that went through there, coaches and, and there was no internet you know it was, that, that's how you learned you went to five star whether you were a counselor or a player and it was the who's who of basketball you know michael jordan patrick ewing lebron james i mean everybody went to five star except me you probably even went that guy he wouldn't <laughs> let me go but you know it, it was my my career has been i've been very fortunate i played a little bit of college football and basketball and to be able to be involved in both of them has just been, and, and you know, now now you throw in what we do at Patriot Point and with the Touchdown Club. It's the most rewarding and perfect opportunity and job for me. Yeah, I've been to your Touchdown Club events, and and I, I'm very familiar with your Patriot Point project. Really, really great work, impactful work, well beyond a football game, and I commend you for that. Um, Thanks. Really, really great stuff. Um, now let's go back to the bowl game. You know, we, we like to ask all our guests about their experiences, some of their fondest memories, whether you're just a fan going to the game, whether you've played in bowl games or whether you run a bowl game like you do. So there've been a lot of close games, competitive games in your bowl history. You've had a lot of great players playing your game, but is there any, any game that stands out, any uh, player or person you've had a chance to meet at your games that, that, that is, is, you know, someone that you really think fondly of to this day? Yeah, this one, I could go on and on on this one. I mean, we've, we've had some incredible years. I mean, the first year we had um, in Navy and Wake Forest, Riley Skinner goes 11 for 11 in the second half and uh, comes back and they, they beat Wake Forest. Um, Ralph Friedgen's last game, which was a very tumultuous time at the University of Maryland. Uh, you know, they came out and they actually hoisted Ralph you know, which is pretty incredible if you know Ralph at all, <laughs> be able to get him up on your shoulders. But uh, that was a great one. The Air Force Toledo game, you know, sticks out as a memorable ending. Uh, 
game ended up 42-41. It was Matt Campbell's first win as a 32-year-old coach. Um, he was at Toledo at the time. Uh, now, of course, he's at Iowa State doing a great job. But the um, Air Force went for it, went for two at the end of the game. And the punter was the holder, and he went to pitch it to the kicker, who was wide open to score, and he fumbled the ball, and they lost 42-41. So that was that was an incredible game. I'll say that probably the biggest memory I had um, over all the years was back was actually pre pre bowl game. It was 2017. I think uh, no, it's 2015. Keenan Reynolds, remember Keenan Reynolds? Yes. 88 rushing touchdowns. I mean, I still believe holds the record and just an incredible player. Beat Army four years in a row. So at the end of the game, uh, uh, the athletic director for Navy, I'm down on the field, and Chuck Latchuk comes up to me and goes, "Steve, I need you to speak to the team after the game." I'm like, "What do you mean you need me to speak to the team after the game? I'm not comfortable. You know, you're just laying this on me now." And, all that. So anyway, I ended up caving in and I go in the locker room, which is just packed and unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, it was just going crazy. And uh, first Chet speaks and, you know, he's the, the game was pretty close. I mean, Army was two and nine. Navy was nine and two, but it came down to the end uh, and Army threw an interception. And, you know, things went crazy from there. So I'm, I'm going back in the locker room. I have no idea what I'm going to say. I mean, and then. Chet speaks and he talks about, you know, never giving up. You remember this day, whether you're on a ship out in the Persian Gulf or you're a Marine attacking the beach, you remember this day and how you never gave up. I mean, it was just very emotional. Coach Ken starts speaking. Of course, he's a very emotional guy, you know, talking about the seniors and how much it means to them and how they're going to a bowl game. And, uh, it was, you know, he starts dancing around with them and and then they get Secretary Mavis to speak. You know, these are all professional speakers. I'm sweating my butt off. I don't know what I'm going to say. And, you know, what each one is as good as the next. Then you have uh, the CNO, the Chief Naval Officer, Vice Admiral John Richardson speaks. And I'm like, when are they going to get to me? I mean, this is really nerve-wracking. And then Roger Stahlback speaks, you know. And then after Roger speaks, finally they said, well, now it's Steve Beck from the military board, you know. I did really had no idea what I was going to say. And the place is just going crazy. And they start chanting, Steve, Steve, Steve. You know, they're just going crazy. And I said, welcome to the military bowl. And that was my speech. It was the greatest speech I ever gave in my life. They went crazy, put the helmet on the smallest kid and throwing him up in the air. And just it was a, that's one um, big memory that I, that I definitely have. But as far as people that we've met, you know, we've had the opportunity to have Medal of Honor recipients at our game for the past, oh, 13 years and uh, just incredible what they've done for their country. And we just, we just lost Woody Williams, who was uh, the last survivor of uh, Iwo Jima. Um, he was a 130 pound kid when he went into the Marines, was carrying a hundred pound backpack flamethrower on his back. And his commanding officer said, Woody, you got to go out there and take out these pillboxes, you know, on Iwo Jima, this huge mountain. And he said, is that an order, sir? And he goes, yes, it is. So he miraculously, you know, took out numerous, uh, you know, these pillboxes that they were just unloading our troops and, you know, made it to the top of the mountain. Of course, the rest is history with the raising of the flag. And, but, you know, guys like that and board members that we've had, Brig Owens, we just lost him. And, uh, you know, there's been so many good ones. Governor Hogan has been a huge supporter for Maryland with our game. You know, he's a cancer survivor. And we had James Conner, who had cancer when he was in Pittsburgh. Uh, so, you know, there's been 
so memorable. And you know, Mac Brown, I, you know, uh, I'll say a little bit about him. He, you know, he said, Sally and I, you know, we've been to a lot of bowl games, but we've never been to one as fine as this. So, you know, those kind of things to be able to hear that, and, you know, Dave Clawson, so so many, uh, Pat Narducey, I mean, uh, Coach Ken, it, it, you know, all, all those guys are really they're leaders, and, and and they know that they're raising uh, athletes to be leaders. Those are great stories, Steve. I, I can, uh, we can see the passion, uh, in your, in your face and hear it in your words. And, uh, and, and you should feel that way. You're, you're doing great work, uh, outside the bowl game, the bowl games, creating memories for everybody involved and, and memories for yourself as well, which is really, really cool. So, uh, Steve, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do for bowl season and for college football, yeah, you know, your game really just provides just such a great opportunity for for the world to see everything that you're doing in the in the nation's capital and in in in, uh, in Maryland, and uh, can't thank you enough for all of that. So thank thank you for all that, and thanks for being on the show. And thank you, Nick, for your leadership on bowl season. We're bringing this thing to a whole nother level, and you're doing a great job on doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.